Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everyone, to the Generous Business Owners Podcast. We have a very special guest with us today, Greg Lernahan. Greg, say hello. Good morning. Good afternoon. How are you, Jeff? Great. Great. Uh, sounds like uh, you're having some fun weather there in Chicago, and and I'm uh, calling in here from beautiful Pennsylvania. We just had uh, several inches of rain that we were glad in some ways it wasn't snow, in other ways we wish it was. Sure. We had our first snow of the season in the last uh, 48 hours with more to come. So it's the first. We're ready for it. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Most of the families loving the snow. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, Greg is the co-founder of Convergent Technologies, started in his basement in 2001, has now grown that company to the world's largest electronic security company with sales over $2.5 billion and 10,000 colleagues globally. Uh, Greg is uh, just incredibly focused on making his life purposeful and the those around him uh, see that every day. His uh, family is uh, engaged. He's uh, very focused on faith-driven investing. Mary Beth for over 40 years. And, 40, uh, exactly. Yeah. So excited to hear more about your journey. Greg, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, can't wait to get started here. Tell us a little bit about uh, the early years of Greg. What was it like growing up and a little bit about your your faith journey? Uh, thanks, Jeff. Honored to be here. I grew up in a small town in Indiana called Michigan City, Indiana. I was a uh, part of a Catholic family. I was an altar boy, church every Sunday. Uh, had incredible parents. Uh, my father was an Irish immigrant, uh, had a sixth grade education and had to leave home because as he would say, there was no food. So he left home at 16 because he had uh, eight or nine people at home that his dad was a farmer and he meandered his way here to the States and became an entrepreneur. I would say that he has a PhD or had, he's since passed, a PhD in common sense, one of the smartest people person I ever knew. A uh, very humble, wonderful man, had a lot of influence on me in my life. I had a, a one brother and two sisters. I was an average run-of-the-mill athlete in high school. I went to uh, Purdue University for my undergrad, which is in Indiana, and um, been blessed my whole life being around good good people, uh, had good roots when I was a kid. I remember my dad uh, in, me having a great influence as well as my mom, and that I can see him praying at night. Accidentally, I'd come in the room, knock on the door, and my dad would be on his knees, and my wife and I were just talking about this week how impressionable that was later in life. He didn't do it for wow. me. It, and it was just a simple thing that we obviously continued on. And I have a picture of him on my desk uh, as possibly, for sure, the most important person in my life. No takeaway from my mom, but my dad was just this uh, special man. Wow. Tell, say more about that before we move on. What, uh, what impression that had on you when you walked into the room and saw him on his knees? Yeah, it's a very vivid memory. Humility. Uh, we used to pick up my grandma and the two aunts. He'd sit in the car, bring them in. They were older. We'd go to church together. And my dad, no way, ever made $20,000 in his life and would tithe and put his envelope in there and he'd talk about it. And it was just... Uh, my dad was not one to talk about it. He was one that you'd observe and watch. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked for him. He had a small carpet and drapery business. And I learned how to run upstairs about three at a time. When you work for your dad, you you can't work, you can't run fast enough, jump high enough. I was paid a dollar thirty an hour. It's the other thing I remember, in that uh, he was not prone to. <laughs> he thought all of us should work hard, and he worked six days a week. And this business is still business today, ninety years later, something like that. It's still business today, which is incredible. Wow, wow, yeah. And you you said a PhD in common sense. Yeah when, I look around, sense. yeah, when I look around today, it, se- it seems like common sense isn't that common. Uh, but when somebody has it like that, it's just, it's amazing how far that can take you, especially with the- Yeah, he wasn't given the opportunity to continue his education. As he said, you know, he had to eat. And so he read ferociously magazines, anything he got his hand on. Uh, but we were right by Notre Dame. We're about 20 minutes away from Notre Dame. People would come up to my dad, say, hi, my name's Jeff Jones graduate Notre Dame 1962. My dad would go, my name's Tom Lernahan, graduate of sixth grade Kilma Hill. Uh, and that was just his way of saying, I'm a humble man, yeah. you, <laughs> you know, and uh, it, it just taught us a lot. Yeah. He spoke volumes by the way he, he treated other people in a very respectful way. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So school years and uh, meeting Mary Beth. Tell us about that part of your life. Well, the uh, school years, Mary Beth and I dated in high school, Jeff, and mm-hmm. we're one of those high school sweetheart groups, which is why we've got 40 years in and I'm still a very young man. <laughs> we met in high school. I was two years older than her. I went off to Purdue and studied business because my dad was in business at the time. It's a great school, has a strong engineering and business curriculum. And I just knew that I was going to be on the business development side. I was a paper boy as a kid, and you're old enough to remember paper boys, I think. <laughs> possibly the greatest job in the history of the world. Everybody should be a paper boy. Yeah. I can remember getting up at seven in the morning to deliver newspapers and saying to my mom, I mean, who would read a paper at 7 a.m.? This is crazy that I got to get up and do it. And I'd walk the neighborhood and put all this and the dogs would chase me. And then you'd have to go and collect money from them. So I learned about accounts receivable and that people wouldn't pay. And why didn't they pay? And I'm the one who had to pay. Uh, so I had a lot of responsibility that was fun. Mary Beth and I, uh, I graduated business, I mentioned, uh, got married right after she got out of college. Uh, she was an engineer. She worked for Motorola. And um, we were dual career people, but fairly uh, soon thereafter, the Lord blessed us with our oldest daughter, Erin. Mary Beth decided to stay home and I became the single provider. And she was making a good income because she was degreed and all that stuff with the engineering and being a woman was highly sought after. And so what happened then, Jeff, is uh, I worked hard, worked for a Fortune 100 company in Chicago, but they're global. I named Siemens, which is a you know like the GE of Europe, if you will. Hey. Worked there for 20 years, was treated like gold, had uh, a great career. And then we came to a disagreement on the direction of where Siemens was going, where we thought we were going. And so Dan and I went off and started my business partner, Dan Mosseri, and I went off after 20 years and 25 years at Siemens, started our own business in um, security. And that started our career path. And if Mary Beth wasn't at home, which she was great, gave me a lot of flexibility to do what we had to do to grow business, um, both when I worked at Siemens and when I worked for Convergent, which is the company we started. Unfortunately, it was a 24-7, 365, Jeff. Uh, as an entrepreneur, you may understand that. I know the world has changed. I'm not proud of that. I um, 
I've apologized to my wife. My priorities when I was in my business world were my kids, work, God, and Maribeth probably took the fourth position, and that is dead wrong. And I know it biblically, it's dead wrong. Mm-hmm. I've apologized to her, but I, I was not going to not be successful. So do whatever you have to do in business. I'm going to be a great father to my kids. Mm-hmm. And I slipped God in there where I could. And then the last one on the totem pole, it just was she held down the fort. Uh, she's been the rock of my entire business life. And it gave me the opportunity to work too hard. Uh, in all honesty, I don't know if I do it exactly the same way, mm-hmm. but uh, the good Lord has been very kind to me. Yeah. So back up a little bit on uh, more of the family journey on the, on the, you have, I think more than one. I shot. do. I, yeah, you're right. I have two other sons. So uh son, Tom and a son, Wade, and all three now, Jeff are married with wonderful spouses that we love to death and uh, blessed with eight grandchildren ranging what? from eight yeah, nine to one. Wow. Is, That's awesome. So this grandparent thing is not oversold. It's, it's just really, it's really as good as everyone says. And so we have eight and uh, five of them are about three hours away from us. Unfortunately, we see them a lot. And then the other three are, we moved to be by them here in Naperville. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people uh, if, uh, the, if people would have told me the grandparent is so much fun, I would have totally skipped the kids part and went straight to grandparent. Because- <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> You do anything for a grandchild, and it's just nothing but love. And so uh, that, that's a very that's, important part of our life. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, tell me a little bit more. I want to get to the valleys because one, one of the things we've heard from our listeners is they want to hear okay. about the good times and the, then the tough times. But, wow, sales of $2.5 billion. Let's talk a little bit about that, and then I want to get sure. to Haiti. I want to get to uh, your, the, your, your, the Haiti uh, phase of your life is just fascinating to me. Sure. Well, uh, the 2.5 billion, we started from scratch in the basement. And because we were working in large companies, we had big vision, big goals and things like that. But I don't think we realized that you can think that big. Uh, We didn't know what we didn't know. And so at the time we set some big, broad goals, Uh, security 911. We started a few months before 911, which at the time was awful. It always is awful, but from a business perspective, it's very difficult, challenging and but we ended up being in the security business, electronic security, so physical things, card access, cameras, all that kind of stuff. And so it turned out to be a growth market in the end. Uh, it's been a very strong business. And we built a very decentralized, empowered, colleague-friendly, uh, strong culture, customer best service provider, very focused on our end customer, et cetera. And the decentralization and empowerment and building a really special company allowed us to continue to grow as fast as we humanly could. And so we went out and got more capital and grew. And some of our clients, um, they want to have one security provider globally, which is hard to do from you know Japan to Taiwan to Europe to Southern California. Uh, and that's a very challenging thing to do. But once you can do it, you offer... you offer a solution that most people can't do. So it eliminates lots of competitors. And so uh, it's exceeded every dream. We get asked, Dan uh, Masseri, my, my co-founder and I constantly, did you ever dream it'd be this big? And of course the answer is no. I think I read that uh, 0.0006% of companies that start make it to a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And we didn't do anything special. Uh, all I, I worked hard, but I think, Jeff, one of my 
when I was in it, I, I, and we'll talk about Haiti in a second, I thought I had more to do with it than I did. And slowly, God reminded me quickly. I used to joke, say, trust me, in two years, they won't even be able to spell my name. <laughs> and we were at a conference. Somebody asked to take this picture with me on the beach. I said, sure. They posted on social media and spelled my name wrong. And, and I thought that was God <laughs> winking at me. saying, you know, And I very quickly realized that, A, I'm not important. And B, if you treat people really well and thank them and love on them, they'll work hard and do the best they can too because they want a good job and they want to work in a good environment. And God opened doors that don't still make sense looking back. And I now know my role was, I, I was just in the way. Uh, and it, it was a wonderful experience. But I've learned now over the past 10 to 12 years that God opened doors everywhere and I, I just uh, tried to follow. So before we go to Haiti, what, what would you say there, there had to be some, some twists and turns and some valleys and some rocky places there in the road somewhere between 2001 and 2012. What, what would you say, any, anything that, that comes to mind? I know there was a, um, something happened around 2008 that interrupted the, the economy. I don't know if that impacted your business or what would you say it, it were some of the tough, tough stretches along that journey? I don't know if it's the typical entrepreneur story where we almost, we didn't ever almost go out of business. Right. We didn't ever hit, and then that's, again, it's not us. It was, is God. Um, so the valleys weren't that much because our attitude always was, don't worry about what we did yesterday. We were always looking to the future. And in our case, when 2008 came around and we had been in business about seven years and we were doubling every couple of years, we were 25% CAG or CAG. There's only so fast you can grow. And when 2008 came around, we had a partner with us because we don't manufacture anything, Jeff. So we, there's a ton of people out there that manufacture great cameras, great technology equipment, and we make it work. We're an integrator. We go and we put smart people in buildings. We connect it. We make sure it works perfectly for our clients. And that's good stuff. So we had a partner. Once he, he, he said, uh, we're choosing not to participate in this recession. Right? And Deanna and I go, well, that fits our culture. So we literally brought all our leaders in and said, listen, here's the deal. We're choosing not to participate in this recession, and let's just go make it happen. So no excuses. We're just, somebody else is going to lose share. It's just not going to be us. And some of our investors later say, yeah, there had to be more to it. And I'm going, gosh, I wish there was. It was just politely saying, people are going to lose share, but we're too, we're too good. They need us. We're, we're going to win. And we didn't go backwards in 8, 9, and 10, Jeff. That's the strange That's awesome. part. Yeah, um, we grew and we've had record EBITDA growth now for 21 consecutive years. Wow! And wow. even more shocking for a people-centric business to make it through COVID when we we're globally shut down mm -hmm. and we couldn't go into facilities and we still made we eked out more profit than the previous year is hard to to even comprehend. It just doesn't make sense. So we didn't have that. Oh yeah, we had lost accounts. Uh, just had bad breaks or somebody, the biggest ones are somebody resigning really hurts. And we had another guy who was going to start with us. Great man, Glenn Wargworth. I knew my whole life is just, I do anything for him. And after six or eight months, we didn't have any money and it wasn't going anywhere. Hey guys, really sorry. Yeah, I'm older than you too. I got to go because I'm sure this is going to work out for you at some point, but right now it doesn't look good. <laughs> and uh, he left. And I can remember when he left going, this is not going to work. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you one other story. I thought it would be a good idea to have a book from an entrepreneur. And 
write daily entries to answer your questions right now. See the ups and downs. And I remember there's a lot of downs when you're an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. meaning daily downs. We never yes. got into a yearly down where mm-hmm. we're going to lose this line from a comp- uh, from what product line that we needed. We didn't get a license in this particular state. We can't do business. We're mm-hmm. out of business. You know. And I wrote in my diary on day one, which was January 3rd, everything you need to start a business with $1,000, energy is high, goal is at least $500 million. Now that's Dan and myself, no products, no customers, no money. Okay. So now 44 days later on February 13th, I wrote, don't feel good about this thing working. All in all, I think we should begin looking at other opportunities. And I never wrote another sentence in the book. <laughs> so I've got a 40 some page book of a, being a failure because I didn't, I couldn't see past 40 days, Jeff. So I would say my, our downs were daily. Yeah. Uh, they weren't, I think what's there saying the days are long, but the years are short. Yes. It's kind of the same kind of thing. Yeah. The days were tough at times, but the years continue to do well, mm. all because of the colleagues, all yeah. because of the colleagues. Yeah. 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 Days are long. Years are short. Very, very true. Yeah. So when, when you saw, was his name, what, what was the, the, th- the partner's name that said- I'm Dan. Just, Dan Mosseri. Yeah. And, what, that left. The, the oh, Glenn Wegworth. Glenn, Glenn Wegworth. So when yes. Glenn, when you saw Glenn's taillights going out of the yeah. pot, what were you thinking, and how what how did you like uh, regroup from that? Because that had to be, you know, for for our listeners who are running the treadmill, walking the dog, whatever. There, uh, some of our listeners are going through that right now. Well, we uh, Glenn was uh, the president of the H uh, heating ventilation air conditioning section of of Siemens and as good a person as I've ever worked around. And so he was rock solid. And he went to a competitor to be a president for them. When he left, there was definitely, so he was over uh, qualified for what we were trying to do as, and so none of us had been in the field for a while. That's, you know, and so you're building homes, you have to understand we're putting in technology into buildings and Dan and I couldn't do it. We could lead people, but we didn't have the skills to do it. Mm. Glenn Wegworth didn't have the skills to be the leadership. And so when he walked at the door, I distinctly remember thinking, this isn't going to work. We should just, you know, roll up the carpet and go do something else. Uh, but it goes back to my dad. Mm-hmm. So Dan is my co-founder. I didn't care what business I owned. After working as hard as I could, he treated me very well at Siemens. At the end, I said, I just want to own a business now. I want to wake up every morning and know that I can treat people our way. Because in this particular case, they started to want control in Europe. We didn't like that. I, you know, We were running North America. I thought that was the right thing to do. And so it didn't matter to me what business we were in. It mm-hmm. really didn't. Because I watched my dad in this carpet business work hard six days a week, but people loved his business. And I just wanted to try the entrepreneurial thing. What's different today is entrepreneurialism is really in. As you know, when you started your business, it wasn't as in. Right. It wasn't cool. It wasn't cool. Uh, it was crazy. They were all looking at us and they said, why are you starting a business from scratch? You left Siemens? You know, they're a bit 400,000 colleagues when I left. And Dan and I are in the basement of a house. Are you guys out of your mind? But today's world, that's really cool and edgy and something mm-hmm. people celebrate, but that's not the way it was 20 some years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's Good advice. Um, and and if, if you really want what I hear your your heart was, you were passionate about doing something on your own, whether yep. and, and you were gonna figure it out, whether Glenn left or not, and you you were gonna figure out how to how to run the front line mm-hmm. and uh, and make it work. Yeah. 
Failure was not an option, uh, Jeff. Uh, we uh, This was it. We put all the chips on the table here, everything we had. We were 40. I was 40 at the time. Yeah. And uh, I've had friends, young friends that I've consulted with, mentor to, and they were in their 20s at the time. And they apparently used me as the old guy. They would say, you remember, Lernahan didn't start a business till he was 40. And now they're all pushing their mid to 30s to late 30s. And it's looking <laughs> a lot younger than it did back then. <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about Haiti. Tell us about that uh, season. In two th- okay. So we uh, started in 2001. By 2012, uh, the company was probably 350 million ish, give or take at that time, 1,500 colleagues, and was very successful. And I felt it, this nudge. I don't, I'm not good at feeling God speaking to me. And certainly it's never uh, spoken to me, but I kept saying, for whatever reason, I need to go to Haiti. I didn't know where Haiti was on a map. I presented to our team because we shut down the company and give back on a certain day. Been doing that since day one. Why don't we take a small group to Haiti? That wasn't well-received at all, but the long and the short of it, I decided I'm going to take 30 that wanted to come with me. They'd have to use vacation for half of it. They have to raise their own funds. We go, and so a whole bunch of people, we pick 30. And I was on the plane, and I would say, I was keeping a diary at the time. I never found it again. I don't know what happened, but I was very scared, Jeff. The honest truth was I was scared. I didn't know what I was getting into. I was worried about the safety of our colleagues, but I knew that I had to go. It's about two years after the earthquake. So you saw plenty on CNN, but as someone who hadn't been to a developing country, from the time I got off, now it's a brand new airport there, it was third world. I mean, from the second you got out of that plane, you knew that you were in a a challenging environment. And what happened over that week, and we can talk about the books in a second, we didn't know what we were doing. And we were going on sheer energy of trying to go there and work and show them how hard we can work and how much water filtration systems we can put in and we're building this little church and no nobody's ever going to work harder in 10 days than we were going to work you're up at six come back at 11 o'clock you do it all again and what we realized a couple days into it was when we're building this church the locals weren't all that happy Uh, and i couldn't understand why weren't they happy we're here building a church and the reason is we should have hired them to build the church obviously and if we wanted to be shoulder to shoulder whether that would have been one so at the end of this trip i saw god everywhere. People prayed over us everywhere. I, we mm-hmm. cried. We saw c- human conditions. We saw malnutrition. We, I didn't see a person that had a job, didn't meet a person that had a job. No, everything's dirt floor. And I understood the difference in dirt floor and, and tile and you know, partially concrete, how they move up and tents and the conditions they were living in. And I started to say, you know, am I doing what God has called me to do in my life? Is mm-hmm. this, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And uh, at the same time, we started to consider selling a portion of our company right around the same time. Mm. And a, a gentle nudge was, it's time for you to go. Mm. And that was easily the most difficult decision I've ever made for my business life. And I stood in front of my management team and cried and couldn't finish a sentence. And my business partner said, what he's finally saying is he's leaving. And I'm like, good, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I didn't know what I was going to do. But I knew that it was time, but I'm still an investor. I'm still on the board. But day-to-day responsibilities is completely different than being a strategy or board guy. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, Jeff, I was going to go in the nonprofit world because mm-hmm. that's what you do. You know, you're going to be a good citizen and go back to the nonprofit world. And that's when I, I figured out that nonprofits think a little differently than me and the capital structure, there's only $500 billion 
that right now is given to nonprofits. And there's 1.8 million-ish nonprofits going after a fairly fixed pool of money. It hasn't changed much. It's 2% of GDP now for 40 years. It was down 3% last year. So when it goes up 2% down, but about 40 years, 50 years now, it's about the same. And that's when I said, uh, I love nonprofits. We give money to nonprofits, but I think my talents are better suited to work with for-profits that are doing good in the world. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I made a shift to faith-driven investing that started originally with impact investing because I didn't know there could be a faith lens. I didn't even know that much. I just knew that I wanted to go out and do good things with the capital that God had entrusted with us. Now, we then sold a portion of our company in 2012, end of 2012. And so I actually left in 2013 from day to day and now had capital that God had blessed us with and tried to, what do we do with it now? And, and that's the stage we entered. And that was after Haiti and was after you know, the cash off the table. And it created a wealth event that I didn't even know, you know the term wealth event. That wasn't something we were striving for. We agreed to build a great company, didn't want to flip it and sell it to some big conglomerate, which we didn't do, but I wanted to move in a different direction. Yeah. Be more purposeful. It goes back to halftime. Right. Exactly. Uh, for those of your listeners, success yeah. to significance. Mm -hmm. I, success gets hollow at some point, and it's just for what purpose. I'm just growing more revenues. I was very proud of the jobs we provided, mm -hmm. um, and that's still very, 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 very important. Mm -hmm. But I wanted more significance in my life that I, I, I think, I think your other Jeff on your podcast, Thomas, that I listened to, or maybe I read it on him, where he said, I just didn't want to be a wealthy guy making other people wealthier. And <laughs> exactly. it was something to that effect. I don't want, you know, it was yeah. an advisor saying, you know, right. have wealthy guys get wealthier. And it had a little of that. I can relate to that as mm -hmm. I yeah. just didn't want to grow more revenue yeah. for no redeeming value. Yeah. Really, I, I find it fascinating. I'd love to, uh, to have you tell us more about your experience in Haiti. It's, it's really interesting that God used that after all of your, your business yep. career. Uh, you're down there working hard and yep. you're in a third world environment and God spoke to you. And there was a, there was definitely- Didn't speak though. He nudged me. I, he I, don't nudged wanna, I, I, wish he, I wish he had spoken because it would have been a lot easier. He nudged me. He's like, you need to go to Haiti. And I'm like, I don't know where Haiti is. Uh, yeah, I did vaguely, but go yeah. ahead. Yeah. But that, that environment, just being a part of seeing that actually having the, 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 the families that we're here serving serve alongside of us is actually going to be yeah. a better outcome in the end as far as mm. restoring dignity. And we can work really, really hard, but it's actually a little bit counterproductive if it's not done in the right context. We didn't know that at the time. So we go on this trip, did everything wrong. I should write the book, How to Do Everything Wrong on a mission trip. We come back and I'm trying to absorb what happened and my life has now changed from my perspective. And so I will read Toxic Charity and When Helping Hurts and mm -hmm. they told me everything that I shouldn't do that we yeah. did. Yeah. And it made future trips easier because we want to hire them. Now, I think, I can't remember which book said they didn't think visionary trips were worth it. You should, you're better off yeah. giving the $2,500 as a charity. I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. It changed my life. Yeah. And it changed. Right. I have people in that group of 30 that would yep. say it changed their lives. Right. Yep. Now, we made a lot of mistakes, but the fact that we were there and loving on them and trying to understand, not better them, don't have solutions for them. But I'll say to myself, I was naive. I saw it on CNN. It's not the same as when you're sitting in that village. And so at the end of the day, 
we got smarter through these books. And so I do understand now all the things we did wrong. And I, we, we approach it completely different, more of a vision trip than a mission trip and enabling people and empowering them and loving on them for that perspective rather than going down with our brawn yeah. and doing everything. Yeah. We, were, we were putting Mason uh, walls up. We didn't know what we were doing. And they had Mason people standing there that really wanted the job. <laughs> and, and, and it was probably killing them. And we thought, well, we've worked 15 hours. Say, look how good we did. And we were so wrong. We were so wrong. Yeah. Yeah, we're it's it's uh, really interesting. Uh, we're we're actually leaving Friday morning. Today's uh, what is today? Wednesday that we're recording this. We're leaving uh, Friday morning for Zimbabwe and Zambia. There's 30 of us going, not oh, on wow. our trip, but it's we're going to come alongside, encourage, pray for, observe, and then bring back and you know uh, raise awareness. And it, it's a 10 year milestone trip for for Keystone Custom Homes for our for our building company. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's quite a, quite well, a trip. Well, no, we're following in your footsteps. So it's things like you mentioned, uh, and we'll put this in the show notes, you mentioned when helping Hertz, Brian talks about some of the pitfalls of short-term missions trips. But I do think that he emphasizes, if you go with the right intent, that there's this is going to have more of an impact on you than it is potentially on the folks that you're helping or come alongside. It's not about, you know, whether you can go uh, lay block for a, for a church or dig a footer, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to take the place, if you're going to ride into town on the white horse and say, step aside, we got this. Uh, you can actually, that's where the phrase when helping hurts comes, comes from. Uh, but I would put, I would encourage you to, if you haven't, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't read uh, those two books, and then there's a follow-up charity de- detox, uh, we'll put the, I've put read the that as well. Yeah. It was equally powerful. Yeah. We'll put the reference to those in the show notes. But yeah, say more about that, Greg, about the- well, uh, Which one? Well, no. About just the books and- Just in general, some of the concepts that you you were just absorbing and it sounds like- you, you know, We brought we're... gifts, tons of gifts, 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 <laughs> gifts, gifts, gifts. And the line at first was incredibly polite and we we're going, well, look at those people. Americans would have probably you know, pushed each other's side. And then the second time you bring gifts, the third time you bring gifts, and they describe it better in the book, they start expecting and they're starting to go, wait a second, yesterday you gave socks, this is only this. And you go, well, and you don't realize that you're feeding the wrong, you're not helping. That's why helping hurts. You're making it it worse. And so in our case, we try to then completely pivot to supporting them completely, which we still be in the environment, still support them. But let them be the ones building the church. Because years later, Jeff, we put up the frame of this church. We were so proud of it. Years later, it was not done. Not <laughs> one thing. The roof was not put on. And we're sitting there going, come on. We worked really hard. And you start to wonder, well, they didn't own it. Exactly. And yeah. Not all you guys did. And so we're very aware now that we don't we don't have the the white man ideas that's mm-hmm. why i like what you're doing at hope it's we need indigenous leadership we can be an enabler and a supporter but we can't be the leader and anyone who goes on a uh, a mission trip needs to read those books in my opinion oh, yeah. yeah yeah they're they're that impactful yeah well we definitely make it required reading for our trippers and yeah you were talking about the 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 stages robert lupton talks about that first and you saw it right there in haiti you just described it yeah. the first gifts you were in and out there was appreciation Yep. Then anticipation, then expectation, then entitlement, and then dependency. And dignity was out the window. There was just, yep. it wasn't even in sight. It was just nowhere to be found. 
So later when I got into faith-driven investing, I learned and still daily learned the importance of the dignity of work. I, I don't know if I've learned anything more in the roughly 11, 12 years I've been doing this now, which is investing capital for God's uh, return, kingdom returns, but also granting capital is the dignity of work. I've taken it for granted because you and I, you know, since I was a kid, I've been working and I've been fortunate to be able to have a job and provide. I can't imagine a worse situation than not being able to provide for your family, a roof uh, over your heads, uh, a meal. And so we do everything we can now, and that's on the nonprofit side or the for-profit side. How do you enable microfinancing? How do you enable people to do it themselves, work for themselves, to have that dignity? Mm-hmm. And when people ask me, uh, where would you spend time or money? I always say, getting people jobs. Mm-hmm. We have a hundred problems, homelessness and drugs and mm-hmm. uh, church decline. But at the center of it is lots of the people that are in trouble don't have jobs. And when you speak to people, males in particular, which has been our role biblically, mm-hmm. um, it's painful mm-hmm. and, and they're not left with many options. And so right. we, we try to spend most of our time now providing opportunities to work. Yeah. Jobs in Jesus. Right. Jobs in Jesus. Yeah. It's very well said. Yeah. Tim Keller's book, uh, Every Good Endeavor, uh, goes, does an excellent uh, exploration of all the references of the meaning, the meaning of work in, you know, it's, it's just biblical. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. Well, we, I just love um, hearing more about your journey. Uh, anything else you'd like to share about faith? Um, uh, faith-driven investing and just uh, some of the things that you've learned along the way, some of the, uh, just like you and I have uh, journeyed the toxic charity route and I, mm-hmm, I was a toxic mm-hmm. charity addict. Um, mm-hmm. as you, I feel like you've been uh, kind of at the, the leading edge, at least, on the faith-driven investing. What, what, uh, what else would you like to, to share about that uh, before we... Um, come around third base headed for home. When I left um, and I, I decided that nonprofit, which we support, we have a, a group of us that gives away grants and love doing that. And then we have a group of us that is investing for the kingdom that we're expecting a return to redeploy and not just a financial return. In fact, that's our least important. We're talking about spiritual and social returns. So what I would tell you is what moved me in that direction is they did a study and it went from 1970 to 2020s, I remember over 50 years. And there were, they asked the question of how many companies got greater than $50 million in revenue. And there was 144 nonprofits that got greater than $50 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. On the for profit side, however, it was 46,136. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, why, could, why is that? And it has, there's a layers of d- detail beneath that, one of which is access to capital. Mm-hmm. The nonprofits are going after a $500 billion pocket. For-profit people are going after $150 trillion pockets. So there's capital available. You attract different talent. You think bigger. And so that really changed us. And so in our case, we decided that we were going to do both, granting and investing. And the monumental moment, which isn't probably your listeners are going to wonder what was wrong with us, we were tithers, 90-10. And in complete candidacy, we, we cheated on that as well that we gave 10% of our adjusted gross income, not 10% of our gross. And I, I can remember saying, well, come on, there's nobody really giving 10% of the gross. God didn't understand our tax system. It's 10% of 
adjusted gross income. And then when we had this wealth event and we realized that 90-10 seemed like all of a sudden, what a great deal. I'm, you know, we don't have any pressure on us at all. We started to pray and say, Lord, help us get comfortable with either giving all of our money or investing it from a kingdom perspective. I remember writing it down and saying, please don't come true. I really don't want this to come true. And then over years, Jeff, it took years, years. It wasn't months. All of a sudden, not all of a sudden, one day I just, our family came, this isn't our money. Not not the 10%, not the 90, the whole hundred. I know a ton of your listeners are going, where you been? Mm -hmm. But in our case, it was so life-changing. Everything changes. If you really believe it's God's money, mm -hmm. every investment changes. You, you're, mm -hmm. you should not, cannot be just worried about financial returns because Jesus was not worried. He was spending all his time with the poor and the indigent and uh, the lonely. And he wasn't with the Pharisees and the rich and the wealthy. And so if he was here and he had the capital, he's in trust with us. I am completely convinced that he would be investing in Uganda and Rwanda and Ukraine, not just Google and Alphabet and Facebook. I just can't believe it. Now, there's nothing wrong with investing in for-profit companies, mm -hmm. but our families change now to half of our investments are to what we call spirit-led, which means you can't justify them on a financial return because there's always a better financial return out there. But our priorities first are spiritual, social, then financial. And then we invest in other companies or funds that are led by Christians trying to bring people to Christ, but they have a potential to have a higher return. And we melt them together and say, Lord, we're doing our best. Kingdom impact investing to us is developing countries, hard, marginalized inner city communities, investments and grants, and then also funds that have a higher probability of returning good capital. And we're going to redeploy that all again. Mm -hmm. What we learned with granting, again, which we do, you give a grant, we support hope, that's the best check we can write. We love our partnership with Hope. But we also like that we can deploy capital and loan money, in this case, to Hope as well, because that's two, somewhat two buckets to us, because yeah. we're going to give that yeah. back, and then we're going to give it to another company to do the exact same thing. We're not buying a bigger house. We're, we're not doing that with it. We're just get a chance to redeploy it with someone else. But we don't want to saddle them with debt that they can't handle. Mm -hmm. So I would say the biggest moment in our lives is when we realized that it really wasn't our money. And there's Don Simmons who wrote Stuart Investor, a book which I strongly recommend. He talks about that he's been a wealth advisor for 35 years and 95% of his clients do not invest differently than a, his secular clients. Oh. And I heard on a podcast, I think it was Chip Ingram, I think from Gallup and Barnapoles, that 90% of American Christians don't act differently, talk differently, divorce differently, marry differently, whether they're Christian or secular. So you sit there and say, if, if we really believe that God owns it all, mm. how can we not invest differently? How can we not? Mm. And so that was the pivotal change for our family. And now we're uh, acting that out and doing the best we can, wake up every day to say, Lord, how do you want us to deploy your resources? Help us to think from your perspective and not worry about the financial returns. Um, because this is your money. And so we, um, we're honored to be able to do that. Wow. Well, so much, uh, so many rich, uh, principles there. Um, Greg, so Don Simmons, steward investor, we're going to put that in the show notes, just kingdom investing. And you talked about, uh, Greg, spiritual, social, financial returns. That's Look correct. All of the above. I can't help but think that 
your father with the the common sense mm-hmm. is coming through here big time uh, as as far as uh, and you said it, pivotal moment the realization and not just knowing it but acting upon it that God owns it all and and really living this living that out we're trying uh, Jeff my dad was not a man that was moved by money I have strong memories as well of him saying money is a nuisance and what he meant by that is of course, we had a home overhead and we ate well and we lived in a lower middle class, I would say, kind of lifestyle, wanted for nothing. Don't forget, you, not a thing. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want the temptations of wealth. And in our family, when we first had a wealth event, we considered it a burden. My wife and I sat there and said, most of the wealthy people we know have all kinds of challenges with their kids. I don't want to ruin our kids. We kept saying to ourselves, I don't want to ruin our kids. Mm-hmm. And our kids were early 20s at that time. And over these past 13, 14, 13 years, I guess, uh, since it's been, we've gone from it was a burden to we learned how to responsibly steward God's resources to now we'd say it's a blessing. We have three family members of uh, six that work with us on a daily basis and they see and they're around people. When you're around humble people doing work in Africa, doing work in different parts of the world, you can't help, but we're better for knowing you. We're, mm. we're better for knowing everybody at Hope and Peter and the team and Debbie here. We've never met somebody at Hope that isn't God-fearing, wonderful person. We're better for being involved with that. And so our children now are better for it. And they understand that this is God's money. So what I was worried was going to be a burden. 10, 12 years later now, I would have never thought, I would say it's been a blessing. I, th- I don't know where it's going from here. I, yeah. so I don't know that. That's tomorrow's worry. But today, we've been, we've been fortunate to be able to steward these resources from his perspective. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And it, it, it really, it, I'm really perceiving you have such a growth mindset of looking at it as we're going to continue to learn and we're going to continue yes. to look forward uh, uh, and and don't know what God has in the future, but uh, looking forward to make the most of it. Well, as we finish up here, Greg, what's one piece of advice? We got uh, folks, again, out there jogging, trying to uh, just, you know, get through uh, those long days and short years. And uh, yeah, the, the very fact that they're listening to this podcast, they're, they're, that mindset is they're, they're looking to learn. They're looking to do... Uh, invest where God wants them to invest, and that could be their time, their talents, their treasure. Uh, but yeah, what what piece of advice would you uh, leave our listeners with today? Well, the first thing that keeps resonating in my head, which I apologize for, is something my mother-in-law wrote to us on a Bible she gave us when we were in our 20s that we never really cracked for 20 years. And it said, no matter how much success you both may have, this is where you find your treasure. Mm. And I didn't really appreciate that it's almost 20 years later and so as a business person that started a business from scratch and realize how hard it is and how long the days are and it's dark and you don't think you're going to get that account and how are we going to make payroll all that comes with being an entrepreneur but her words change the way i look at things now and reading ecclesiastes with everything is meaningless meaningless you know the mm-hmm. thought process what we do is important but not nearly as important as having a relationship with god so the first thing i would probably say is a tip so I'm a broken, sinful, imperfect man. So I don't have the solutions to anything. Uh, so I'm only giving suggestions. This is not. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I would do is 
consider deploying capital to kingdom-minded businesses. <laughs> now, do you want me to give tips as an entrepreneur or on investing? Because there are two different buckets to me. All, okay. all the above, yeah. My, my brain right now is on the investing side. So there's people mm-hmm. listening that uh, don't know where to start. I've been there. I understand the complexity, but they want to make a difference. Well, there are Christian funds out there today that are looking to invest in Christians that are doing good in the world. Just mm-hmm. as simple as that. And I would encourage you to research it. You can go on Praxis's website, Praxis Labs, P-R-A-X-I-S. You go to Faith Driven Investing, FBI. Or I don't know the exact website, but Faith Driven Investing or Faith Driven Entrepreneurs, and they have business businesses you could invest in, but I would encourage you to stay with funds as you're starting. If you have a foundation, and any of your listeners have a foundation, they can invest in businesses around the world or in the United States or things they're passionate about and use a PRI. So this goes towards their 5%. So they can either grant it away or they can invest and give that business an opportunity to grow and do it through a PRI. And you can also, if you have a donor advised fund, that's already legally not your money, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't get it if you're on your deathbed. And if you're a Christian, you don't believe it's yours anyway. It's the easiest money to potentially use. I, I want people to consider we have $1.6 trillion in foundations and donor advised funds. If we could deploy that capital to help businesses grow, to help people get jobs at the same time bringing them to Christ and at the same time helping the marginalized, just try 10% of it, keep the 90%. So from an entrepreneurial perspective, my close there would be, I originally started a company said uh, in the HR department, we wanted to do the right thing. And I would change now if I start a company from scratch, I would say, do the loving thing. What is the loving thing to do here? Mm-hmm. Because when you, no matter what business you're in, when you treat people well, and I, 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 I talk to our group and say, I can't tell you how powerful the words thank you are. Mm. In all my career, if I just literally go up and say, Jeff, thank you for what you did. I, I'm sincere. I really appreciate it. It's mm. amazing what they will do for appreciation. So I think every business comes down to a culture that I care for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the only secret sauce, we have a variety of secret sauces, but at the end of the day, it came down. So we have a culture that cares about you. Mm-hmm. It cares about our clients and let's just do the best we can and treat everybody well. And of course we give back to our local economy, but it's all about caring. I would spend all my time on the, on mm-hmm. the culture of caring yeah. with God, but you know, God's part of that caring. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. I've gone longer than you want. No, no, that's great stuff. Great. Really appreciate uh, hearing more about your story. And I think we could go on for uh, a couple of hours and yeah. just uh, nobody's left. Nobody's left. Yeah. So, <laughs> don't do that. Don't. <laughs> so don't do so that. So powerful, Greg. Appreciate you sharing your story. Uh, and we're going to put uh, some of these references to the uh, the books we mentioned and the principles that we mentioned, uh, the websites we mentioned in the show notes. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and we're going to sign off now. And uh, please join us next time on the Generous Business Owners Podcast. Thanks, everyone, for joining today. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. 
Stay tuned for the next episode.